Connecting life and faith. This Welcome is to Connections. Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest says, in recent years, Christians have gotten used to revelations of abuses of many kinds in our most respected churches. He says we need to find a better way. And that the sad truth is that churches of all shapes and sizes are susceptible to abuses of power, sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse. We're joined today by Scott McKnight. He is the professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. He is also the author of a new book called A Church Called Tobe, Forming a Goodness Culture. Today on Connections, he'll share with us the way forward for the church. Our guest today is Scott McKnight. He's the professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. He's also the author of a new book called A Church Called Tobe, Forming a Goodness Culture That Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing. So Scott, yeah, you're a really well-known professor, theologian, you've been a pastor, and uh, you and your daughter, actually, Laura Berenger, you have a great new book out. It's called A Church Called Tove. All my pastor friends have just been uh, gushing over this book, taking a look at church culture and abusive situations in the church. And I just wondered, though, before we get into that important conversation, what was it like to write such an important book with your daughter? Well, the uh, the real story is I would never have written this book had it not been for my daughter, because she, uh, the word we often use in the family, is that she was a pest about this. She wanted <laughs> me to put in print um, the things that we were talking about in the family. And I didn't want to write an expose, just a criticism, a critique, mm. an evaluation that wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't in the cards for me. And um, eventually we had enough conversations. I did enough reading that an idea was stimulated that became the false narratives chapter in the middle of the book. But more importantly, uh, the uh, developing the idea of goodness or the Hebrew word tov as a redemptive theme that would say, yes, churches today are struggling. Uh, some pastors are falling. Some major leaders are collapsing. Um, what can we do about it to help this situation and to prevent it from happening? And on the other side, um, what we discovered is so many people, so many of the women were abused um, sexually and, uh, and power with power in churches. And when they um, came forward, they got silenced, they were suppressed, they were oppressed, they were humiliated, and they were severely depressed. And one of the big parts, parts of our book is to affirm the stories of these women, mm. to say they told the truth, and it was the leaders in churches who decided not to walk in the way of truth. Yeah, we work in Christian media, and it feels way too often we're having to cover stories of leaders falling into uh you know, moral failures, they've been abusive, manipulative, uh, often fallen deep into unrepentant sin. What's been your reaction as a, a pastor and a professor and a theologian as you watch these situations play out? Well, one of the things, uh, Mike, that is important for me in teaching seminary students, and this is becoming increasingly important as I get closer to the end of my career, is that we don't focus enough on character. And we measure uh, pastoral success, the success of a pastor, the success of a church, by numbers. So we attract people who can bring us numbers rather than measuring 
uh, Christ-likeness, tov, goodness, uh, love, service. Uh, instead of measuring things like uh, humility and meekness, fruit of the Spirit, we're measuring numbers all the time. And this has created cultures and cultures and cultures on top of cultures where we are looking for the wrong thing, measuring the wrong thing, and it just is an endless cycle of abuse and power and narcissism finding its way to the top in churches. What I'm discovering with my students is intolerance for this narcissistic impulse that so many pastors have and an increasing desire to be connected to people who are worthy of imitation, who are tov, who are good people, and they want to become more like them. I I find students, no kidding, seminary students, who many of whom are already pastors, who would say their role models are oftentimes not pastors and church leaders, but um, local, let's say, community organizers who seem to be good people, some of whom, this is this is alarming to me, are not even Christians, but they are, in a sense, they're gooder or tover than the Christian examples that are on display in our world today. So wow. uh, we're, we're at a really difficult uh, season, and I, I'm sort of glad to be involved in this discussion because I'm finding it to be something that matters a lot to a lot of people. Definitely. When did we go off path with this? Is this something that's been ongoing or is this something that's new? You know, I I was with a a pastor of a network of churches yesterday. And he said, you know, he said, you know, really, Scott, this is not new. He said, um, your even your solution is not new. But he said, you've put it together in ways that people need to hear. And he said, we've been talking about this among pastors for a long time. And um I know that 20 years ago, I was running into pastors who who were on the treadmill of numbers and wanted to get off. And some of them revolutionized their churches and decreased the numbers by 50% because they wanted to pursue Christ-likeness, uh, spiritual formation, uh, discipleship, rather than just performance services. So in my opinion... Uh, And this is just my lifetime, um, Colleen. I I would say that this began, especially in the 80s, when role models like Jerry Falwell um, and James Kennedy, um, and in the Southern Baptist Church, W.A. Christwell at First Baptist Church, Dallas, when they became the role models, and then it exploded in the 80s and 90s, with the megachurch movements connected to Willow Creek and Bill Hybels, Saddleback and Rick Warren, and then um, a little bit later, uh, North Point and Andy Stanley. And these became the models of churches. And what was so impressive is that they were empires. They were so big, so powerful, so many resources, so gifted. You came to their church, and they had screens that were as big as football field screens, and it was it was electronic, and all of a sudden, more and more churches were copying those models, and we were gradually drifting from uh i I'll just say old fashioned but tried and true models of pastors as godly people who can shepherd people into Christian discipleship 
and we we'd started selling uh, our souls for the sake of numbers. So if this has been ongoing, it's something that's, I don't really know the exact word to use, but it's, it's become a routine. It's been something that's been ingrained in our mind. How do we now change that mindset and find our, find our way back? Oh, you know, I'm asked this question, I think almost every day. And uh, we're actually, um, Laura and I are working on some major, like 10 principles um, we're not ready to go public with those yet, um, but the change cannot occur if the DNA or the culture of a church is not prepared for that change. In other words, if everything leads against that change, that change will never occur. And um, so it, it's, it's got to be very significant kind of change. I believe that we have to change our idea of what a pastor is. We need to have pastors help change the idea of what a church is. We need to have pastors and churches change the idea of what a Christian is, and then have Christians who will not tolerate churches and pastors who don't fit this new model of a Christ-likeness, of tove, of discipleship. And so I'm, I'm encouraging people. I, here's, here's the struggle. So many people who come to us are in churches that are toxic to the core. And they ask me, what can we do? And I have to tell them the, t- the total truth that you can do nothing, probably. Uh, it might be the easiest solution is to leave and go somewhere else. Hmm. And that's sad to say, because changing a church culture is not something that happens because you want it to happen, or because you're a person who catches the idea that we need to change. And you go to the leaders and they say, no, we don't. Um, and I've got too many stories of that very thing. So I encourage people to become Tove, focus on Tove themselves, and find friends to form pockets of Tove in a church and hope that the pockets of Tove can grow over time and help create a different kind of culture. I love that word, Tove. You mentioned at the start what it is. I'm not a a great uh, biblical languages guy, but I know that Tov is the Hebrew word for good. You see it right away in the beginning of the creation story, right? God looks at his creation. Mm-hmm. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was Tov. What made you latch on to that word for basically the thesis of your book? <laughs> this is, this is funny. Um, no, it's not funny, but it was, this is how things work out often. Uh, in the first blog post that I did, I believe it was the first blog post that I did about Willow Creek and Bill Hybels. I said, we need churches and leaders who are marked by goodness. And the number of people, it really resonated with me. I thought, oh, I love this idea. Uh, But the number of leaders, the number of pastors, the number of readers who commented on goodness made me think, I need to to look at this term in the Bible Mm -hmm. a little more carefully. I discovered, Mike, that there's not a whole lot written about Tov. Um, I was very surprised. And um, I, I, it, it really kind of amazed me. It's in all the word books, of course, but it's not yeah. focused enough. Uh, but I found so many people resonating and asking me, can you say more about Tov? Can you write some more about Tov? And I thought, you know, I can do this on my blog, 
or I can meditate on this and ponder it long enough that it I could write about it. Well, when Laura and I decided to write the book, the decision was to write it because we were going to move everything in the direction of Tove. But here's the thing. Editors don't particularly prefer Hebrew words and titles. <laughs> All right. And uh, so originally it was called a church called Tove and the editors met with us for breakfast one day and said, you know, we're not so sure about this word. And I said, I am sure. And they said, why are you sure? I said, I'll tell you why. I talk about it in my classes and everybody starts using it. Everywhere mm-hmm. I've talked about this word, people start using it. Now, I used it with a group of leaders yesterday, and I can assure you, I, I, I can predict that they're all using it today. They're all talking about Tove because afterwards, uh, a dozen different people said to me that was Tove or they were using it. So the word is catchy. It catches on and it carries a fresh sense. Um, good is a little nervous for Protestant Christians. Because we're sort of addicted to Romans 3.10. There is none good, no, not one. And we don't really like to say, I'm working at being good. Uh, We're a little nervous about that kind of term. And yet, Jesus told us to be marked by good works. He compared good people to bad people. The Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. That's Tov. He says that I know, to the Roman Christians, I know you're good, Tov. So there's a lot of uses of this term in the New Testament. So it was a little bit of a a fresh word, and at the same time, a reminder of the significance of passages in the New Testament that we seem to be neglecting. Do you think that a a lot of where we've gone off track, it has to do, we model so many of our churches now more like corporations rather than biblical communities, it feels like, in board meetings and things like that. I go back to the 1980s. It may have been the late 70s. There was a famous page in Christianity Today. It may have been the cover in which it it uh, put a man in a in a suit coat, and it was this is how you should dress for success. Hmm. And um, I remember uh, one of my pastor friends saying to me. This is a business model of the church. And at the time, I really didn't even know what he was talking about. Over time, it has become really clear that from the 1980s on, especially, and Eugene Peterson complained about, griped about this, I think his entire career um, is the uh, businessification of the church, making it more corporate-like, learning Uh, what we can learn from the business world, which we can, we can gain things from them, but so much so that we were no longer baptizing those uh, business principles into the gospel and into the message of the New Testament, into the vision of the New Testament. And we lost contact with some of the fundamental categories of what a church is. And this is amazing to me, Mike, I know people who started churches by building a website before they had anybody to come to church. They had a website, they had a name, they had a motto. And I thought, really, this is how we're doing things. 
Um, there was nothing organic about it. It was, it was a, um, a glitzy vision on, on the website. And I think that this is, this is an increasingly uh, captiv- captivating model. And um, I want to be a part of those who resist it and say we need to form uh, people marked by the character of Tov, and we need to start building in Christ-likeness, and that has to be our entire center. Okay, this is good, because <clears throat> I have a little dream of planting a church maybe one day, and we just moved at a kind of an urban area into the suburbs, and I was struggling with you know selling out and moving to the suburbs. But my wife, we moved across from a playground. My wife said to me, she said, what if I'm called to a playground ministry? And I kind of giggled and was like, yeah, playground ministry. But then I started thinking, what if? What if she starts building relationships on the playground with unchurched families? And what if we're just slowly able to start reaching people with the good news of Jesus? And out of that, we birth something maybe. And maybe it is only 10 people for a Bible study, but there's something more pure about that, it feels like. Well, Mike, that's how so many churches begin. And that's um, and sometimes they do grow into big churches uh, and they, they can lose contact with that original intimacy and fellowship. But uh, that's, to me, the ideal way Christians should build fellowship uh, in and through their neighborhood relations and see where the Lord takes it. So I'm I'm totally in favor of a of a of a playground ministry forming into a church you might find it's far healthier and um, get started on the right foot i gotta find the hebrew word for playground playground (laughs) Uh, the hebrew word for play i don't know what that is (laughs) what what struck you most uh as you and laura wrote this book uh well i think what struck us most uh, to get it going was the pervasiveness of toxicity in churches that were held up as models uh, really bothered me. And it, that's what shook me the most. And I said, I, I want to be a part of doing something about this. I don't want to spend my time exposing pastors. I want to spend my time uh, instructing uh, church people and my students on how to form churches that are marked by Tove. Um, the other side of it is um, every church is marked by Tove and to- toxicity. There is no perfect church. So we can't say, oh, that's toxic. I got to find a Tove church. There is, there is no such thing as a Tove church. There are churches that are more Tove than others, uh, and there are churches that are more toxic than others. And so I, I think we need to be realistic about the kind of churches that we're going to be involved in. But uh, the other side is um, to shift the culture of a church is a far more complex process than just having better ideas and a clearer vision of what Jesus wants. Churches are the accumulation of decisions and behaviors and habits and personalities that build over time, and to change church cultures requires all those behaviors and decisions to be uh, to be reversed and to flipped and to be improved and reformed and transformed. And it took, you know, 40 years for Willow Creek's church um, to form into the kind of culture that it was 
still mm-hmm. is. Uh, it's not going to flip overnight by by realizing that we had a, had some corruption. So I think we have to recognize that we're in it for the long haul, and it's going to take a long time. What do my last question for you, Scott? What do we do with the work of people like Bill Hybels, who we find out have fallen so far? When I was a young pastor in my early thirties, pastoring a small church, I started a small group ministry of that church and it was based off of all of bills and willow creek's writings right and my goal wasn't for church growth it was for spiritual growth and discipleship and connecting community and so what do we do with all that work of these people that have gone before us and we find out they're toxic and abusive leaders well the first thing i think we do have to recognize is that they're uh, everything about them is stained until they repent and come clean with what they've done. Uh, the second thing is, I, I know this sounds a little harsh, uh, and I know Canadians are kinder than Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I would say don't mention his name. Hmm. Uh, you know how we have these shirts, uh, say her name, Brianna Taylor, mm-hmm. George Floyd. Don't say his name. Um, use his ideas. The, uh, use the good ideas of these toxic leaders when they're appropriate, but don't use their names uh, because you will trigger the women, the wounded uh, all over again. And it just complicates everything you do. And, and, you know, some people are just saying, we got to start all over. I'm going to use Dallas Willard. Um, Nobody had those kinds of charges ever against Dallas Willard. Use his books and uh, try to create a different systemic culture uh, that will will lead us forward. I, I, I will be the first to admit there were so many good things that have been taught to us through the leaders of the last 50 years who have built some of these mega churches. We've learned a lot, um, but I, I think we need to be very wise uh, on what we use and we need to baptize all those ideas in a, in a better biblical theology. Those who have been wounded, those who have been hurt, those who are maybe finding God for the first time now, hearing the the stories that they hear, how do we help them to realize that there is that ability to form a goodness culture? You know, this is the this is the pain of this book. Is I wish I could say to people, you know, here's where you need to go. But everybody comes, you know, I get letters from people in San Diego. I get letters in Seattle. I get letters in Canada. I get letters from Africa. I get letters from all over the world about toxic cultures. I don't know those church settings. So uh, the first thing I want them, you know, uh, how about this? Listen to Lauren Daigle's song, You Say. I don't know if you've heard this song. We play it about uh, three times a day. So. There you go. That, that is an important song to realize that God loves them and that uh, they need to affirm and live into what God says of them. Okay. The second thing is I believe they need to find uh, respectable role models who have proven over time that they're Tove people. They probably are not flashy and on the platform, but they are people that you can get to know and trust and surround themselves with people who are Tove, who can be trusted. And look, there is no guarantee human relationship that is always going to be perfect. 
and always going to be tov. There's going to be tension points in all human relationships. So don't look for perfection, but look for tov and look for people you can trust. And over time, you'll know they're almost always trustworthy. Find people like that um, to surround yourself with and to find fellowship with. How can we learn about you, your book, and also about your daughter? Well, we have a website. Um, uh, it's a Google page called uh, a church called Tove.org, or I think it is. And um, I have I have a blog at Substack called Tove Unleashed. I have a blog at Christianity Today called The Jesus Creed. And you can find both of us through there. But Laura is very active on Twitter at Laura M. Berenger. Uh, no periods, no dots in there. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Scott McKnight, one T in Scott. And um, we both have Facebook pages. So we're out there in social media. I think we can be found. Thank you, Scott, for joining us today. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.